a CEO who is also a marketer, a marketer who is also a CEO, Sacrebu, Jacques, and other terribly mispronounced French sayings, dogs and cats living together, what will they think of next? Marketers as CEOs and vice versa, today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Wills. Todd Wills. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have Devin on today. He's a marketer, he's a CEO. He's going to talk to us about what it's like to embody both of those as CEO and marketer, as leader of the organization. He's going to talk strategy. He's going to talk discipline. He's going to talk how he imbues both of those roles into one. And Devin does a fantastic job of, well, looking bigger than he is. But I'll let him talk about that today on the podcast. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the podcast. We're happy to have Devin on with us today. Um, Devin, as we usually do, let's have you introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and why you're here. Great. It's happy to be here. And my name is Devin Redman. I'm the co-founder and CEO of a company called Fatalik, a new startup. This is my uh, multiple time doing a startup. Uh, most recently, I was the co-founder and CEO of a company called Nextgate uh, that was successfully exited and acquired by a public company called Proofpoint. A uh, longtime member of the security and compliance space, and having been in that part of technology for enterprises for uh, the better part of two decades. Uh, and um, most of that time was spent doing a mix of product management, uh, product marketing, and then actually a lot of work doing go-to-market and uh, pure marketing work. That's fantastic. So you've got, got a great resume, a great new company. You've had some successes. You've done this path before. Um, you've, uh, you've done it enough that you've, you know, you keep going back to, to try it over and over again. So um, we love hearing that. And, and one of the, uh, one of the things that I think is, uh, is unique to, to you, to, uh, the founders that we typically talk to is you do have a, a marketing background. You've got a marketing bent as a, as a founder and as a leader. So I think we'll start off with this, you know, understanding the role of marketing, the discipline of marketing, how do you perceive it? What role does it have in an organization? Let's just start sort of top level there and, and we'll let the conversation evolve. But I'd love to hear your thoughts as a marketer in the founder's chair. What are your what are your views? What are your perspectives? Yeah, no, that's great. And I think it's a it's an area that's often kind of underestimated in terms of its importance and overestimated in terms of how easy it is to actually do. Uh, marketing fills kind of that fundamental uh, role in between building and creating a product and actually the the selling of the product by salespeople. And so if you kind of think of the, the hero metaphors that people use a lot of times, the, those two groups, right, the people who build the technology and design and create it, and then the people who ultimately sell it to a customer are the ones who get the lion's share of that. And that's fine. Uh, there's no problem with that. It's the reality of kind of that hard work that goes in between that, where you map the product and the product vision to the story you want to tell to the market, and then the activities around telling that story that really support uh, sales teams. And so that that role of marketing for a startup is usually one of the bigger gaps, and it's usually one of the areas of early inefficiency to long-term challenges around doing things like building pipelines, right? The tactical where the rubber meets the road on that. Um, and so that's something that 
you know, I long thought about when I worked for larger companies and then going through multiple startup environments of how do you do well at that uh, as a startup and not make the mistake of underestimating how important it is and overestimating how easy it's going to be to get it right. So, Well, and, and as other founders, so we'll, we'll put this into the use the role of mentor, right? If if other founders are listening to this and they're thinking, yeah, okay, marketing is important and I know I need it, but I don't know how to go about it or what I need. Walk us through some of the decision points that, that you made with the team, especially early on, on what you were going to do with marketing and how you were going to invest and think about it. That's a great question. Uh, and it, it, there's, there's no cookie cutter answer. Um, sure. you know, I think the first thing is, is skills identification uh, in your team, right? Do you have anybody that's ever written a product solution brief or a white paper or has been interviewed by the press and can speak and articulate uh, the story you want to tell the market? Uh, and if you can answer that question with yes, uh, then you, know, you want to think about how do you leverage that person, whether it's yourself or somebody else on the team, to have them be able to deliver more content and be a key player in kind of driving that conversation. If the answer is no, and be honest about no, uh, I think a lot of people have struggled with being honest because they know what they want to say and they think they're right on that, especially founders. It's not a bad bad character trait of founders, right? They need to be headstrong and they need to really believe. But at the same time, you need to recognize that somebody may be better at articulating something uh, than you. Uh, if you don't have somebody on the team that has experience and capabilities around that, then you need to be thoughtful about how you're going to get that help. Uh, and when I say be thoughtful, it means checking in your network to see if you have people that you can rely on, that you can do this in a cost-conscious way. Because the, the mistake I find a, a lot of people make, and, and it's no offense to any of the agencies out there, is they go and commit to agency spend, agency contracts before they're really ready, before they've gotten some of the fundamentals underneath them. Uh, and those fundamentals can be done by leveraging relationships, whether it's a first degree connection or a second or a third that can actually help you uh, with that process of articulating the story, getting the foundation points down of the types of things that you're gonna need from a content perspective to move you forward. And once you have some of those fundamentals, then and not just the fundamentals of the content, but the fundamentals of, hey, what other questions do I need to ask? What do I need to look for? Should I be talking to an agency? If I'm talking to an agency, what type, big, small, one that does more broad scale marketing programs or one that's more focused on PR and outreach? And once you kind of get some of those basics in place and you've got a little checklist of, okay, I know what I need to do next, then start expanding your spend and your efforts on that front. Well, and I think one of the things, you know, you talked about the having the content down and, and building great content. I think one of the things the content does is it forces you as well to know, okay, what's the story we're creating? And and that starts getting into the what's the what's the strategy and direction of the business? Who's our market? Who are we targeting? Who are we talking to? What's motivating them to buy? How do we get their attention? And so all those things need to be addressed in the content aspect as well which again lays that foundation before you go out and start spending a ton of money on agencies or organizations to help drive growth. If you don't have your house in order, that's just wasted money. Exactly. Exactly. And, <laughs> and it's a, it's a typical mistake of 
they're going to fix my problem. They'll know exactly what I'm thinking, right? And <laughs> nobody's a mind reader, really. I mean, maybe there's a few, but there's not a lot of mind readers out there. And, and so you get in that trap of, you know, you've committed to lots of conversations and lots of spend, and you're not satisfied with the result, and you're frustrating the people you're working with, and, you know, you, you get in this, it's not quite a loop of doom, but it's a pretty difficult uh, position to be in. You, you start to create angst before you're ready to have angst. So it, uh, I, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I'm going to ask you to validate that that this is sort of the answer here. But your perspective on this is think about your strategy, think about the market, who you're addressing, uh, what kind of content you want to create. How can you do that with people around you, your sphere of influence? And then once you've got that in order, and you want to start executing some of that, you want to do creative, you want to build campaigns and programs. That's when you can start looking at agencies. Is that is that sort of your your uh, directional advice? Did I get that right? Yeah, that's it. That's a good way to to synthesize what I was saying. And and you know, I think that one of the terms that's used a lot with startups, uh, especially when you're talking to investors and other people, is what's the product market fit. And I think that really simplifies it, but it's a good way to start to frame the conversation you need to have. Because not only do you need to think of What's the product market fit, right? What solution am I building for what market problem? It's who am I talking to when I'm creating that, right? You mentioned this earlier, but that concept of the persona, right? If you're selling to a security buyer, you're selling to a compliance buyer, or if it's somebody who's in IT infrastructure, you need to understand that you're creating a value proposition for them, right? And you're trying to tell them the story of, why they need to work with you and why they need to use your product or technology or service in that environment. And so if you can answer that with a little help from people who understand marketing and understand storytelling around that, you can start to build the rest of it as you know, everything from what's the story to what's the content I need to deliver, uh, whether it's direct solution, whether it's competitive to how do I target I need to get to this person if I'm talking to them. How do I make sure I get content to that person and where's the best place and way to reach them? And when you've done this in the past, uh, it sounds like you've been fortunate enough to not only have this as part of your DNA, but part of the DNA of the, of the team. What have, you, what have you seen or what advice would you give for people that are kind of bootstrapping this? Maybe they don't have that great network yet. And they're just trying to figure this out for themselves. Are there any good tactical approaches of, hey, here's where you can go find people. Here's how. Here's the questions you should ask. Um, you know, what what do you think for people who are just trying to find their way through it and they're they're feeling somewhat adrift and on their own? Yeah, no, that's great, uh, and that's that's the toughest part, right? Where to get started if if you don't know anybody, uh, and this is your first time doing it. And you know, I think there's a, a couple couple resources that you can look at. First of all, the easy ones like your social networks, right? Look at LinkedIn, look at the people that are in your network, search on the titles. And I think you can search on a mix of titles, but you can do marketing communications, you can do product marketing. Um, you can use those as focus search and then see how many degrees away you are uh, and you know, kind of take a look and say, hey, is this person Somebody is close in my network. Uh, can I reach out to them? Did they work somewhere where if I look at it, their content uh, looks interesting, their market seems relevant to mine, and, and just ask. You know, A lot of times, it's, I think people struggle to ask or do the outreach and kind of be bold on that front. Uh, and I've found some of the greatest successes of 
an idea I had or advice I needed or input I was trying to get is just by reaching out uh, and finding somebody that you think maps and maybe maybe you're wrong and maybe they can point you in a direction that is right for you. Uh, and so those types of things I think are often undervalued. Uh, obviously, there's the perennial, you know, you can search on the web, you can read about marketing, you can look at companies that are like yours or you think you're aspiring to be like them uh, in some way, shape, or form and kind of look at some of the things they do uh, and uh, understand that, hey, I need some content like this or, hey, I'd like to talk to the resource who helped build that to get some advice, those types of things as well. Got it. Okay. Um, so let's, uh, let, let's shift a little bit. One of the things that you uh, talk about and you espouse is this idea of being uh, bigger, looking bigger than you are. And I, I, you know, I loved this idea when you and I had the brief chat prior to it. So I'd love for you to explain what your thinking is here and then we can dive a little bit deeper into this one, but I think this is really key. Yeah. uh, And, and this is something I, I think about a lot. So in particular for startups who are focusing on the enterprise where Uh, Companies are saturated by messages from all types of startups to mature public companies where their bandwidth is low uh, and you're going to struggle as a startup to get credibility with them. The the concept of looking bigger than you are uh, is is something that everybody, I think, should strive to when they're building their their business for the first time, when they're going after the enterprise uh, with their solutions. And, you know, to me, that that rests not just on having a good team that has some maturity in it and has done it before. You know, those, those are things that you can't always be gifted with. But the, uh, the other part is doing things like thinking about how you want to tell the story to market and then um, doing at least what I call and, and kind of what I've kept in my head is a, a high velocity content model. And what that means is you need to focus on your storytelling and telling it, uh, as well, articulating it as well as you can, and then telling it as many times as possible and as many derivatives of the story as possible. And so when I think about doing that, it's really about starting with your base stories, right? Or base content, um, if, if you want to call it that, which is really, okay, what are the key points by persona? I want to talk about my technology. I want to talk about the market problems. I want to tell that story the right way to the most important people that I'm trying to get to use or to buy my technology and creating really good core content. Some people do that. I've done this and and maybe it's, it's kind of the concept of being old school, but I like to write really deep white papers, have people that I work with write really broad, but, but still deep pieces of content around solutions, around products, around telling the story to different personas. And having those big guides gives you an opportunity to, to build a body of content that then you can consume smaller pieces out of it, right? So it's not that you want to create these big white papers that nobody ever reads or they download it and they look at the first two pages and they go, great, I got enough information. I, you know, I don't need that full piece of content anymore. It's more about giving yourself the breadth of the, the foundation of content that you can then turn that into lots of derivatives that you can use in different outlets, right? So use it to fuel stats that create an infographic that you can push out over multiple channels or create little snippets that you can trickle out in social posts over a month or 
use some of that content uh, to do a podcast or to do a demo video, right? So it's starting to create that view of, I've got the base story, here are all the things that I want to say, and then I need to slice and dice that and get that story out in as many outlets as I can. So that that's kind of one piece of it from a content perspective. Then it's thinking about, um, you know, just as I alluded to, uh, the different outlets that you're going to use, right? You're probably going to use your website. You're probably going to use email marketing if you're a little bit more sophisticated, uh, you may use social uh, as a mechanism to tell the story, and that, that can be doing social ads and campaigns that can be doing uh, long-form posts on LinkedIn and doing that as a share. All of those are mechanisms, and you need to keep doing that. And then once you've gotten into that mode of, I've gotten some base content, I'm using it, I should probably reuse it so I don't waste it, but creating more content and kind of feeding that beast uh, as much as you can in the process. That's one big chunk to me of looking bigger. Uh, another area of that is being thoughtful about things like press outreach and doing events and uh, not shying away from them, but also not overspending on how you're going to do events or how you're going to do your press outreach. So you probably can get as much mileage out of doing 10 small targeted events um, whether it's a trade show or whether it's a partner event that you manage to figure out, um, you know, they're hosting an event, a breakfast, or they're doing something a little bit more formal, doing 10 of those for the same price of doing one big trade show where you're already going to be lost in the noise and everybody else's marketing is going to drown you out. Uh, sounds logical, but a lot of people fall for the, I need to be at this big show. I just need to be there. It's the price of entry. And if if you're an unknown really might not be worth the price of entry to do that one versus getting out there, getting everywhere, and then figuring out a smart way to get invited to the big show at a partner event uh, or at a partner-hosted uh, side event that's at the show or submitting a, a speaker um, form submission and, and being selected to, to present on a topic, right? So, so doing those things in a way that's more cost-effective than saying, hey, I'm going to spend... $20,000, $50,000, $100,000 just so I can be at this show and be drowned out by everybody else is probably not the, the right way to look bigger than you are. Uh, and, you know, I think, I think most people would say that sounds logical, but then they get caught up in the moment and they go ahead and plunk that down and now they can't <laughs> do the other 10 events and, you know, they get locked out. So. Yeah, the, the event one in particular, especially because for a, a, a lot of these events, you've got to commit yourself 12, 9, you know, if you're lucky, only six months out, and yep. you're now committing an entire set of resources against this one thing and hoping that that's going to be the payoff versus, I think, doing the more nimble approach, um, which you're, you're spot on correct. Everybody says, oh, yeah, that makes sense until you get caught up and you find yourself actually doing the antithesis of that. Exactly. Me included, right? I've, I've made this mistake before and been to events that we way overspent because we thought it would be worth the price of entry and we really wanted to be part of the crowd and, and realized after the fact that we probably could have leveraged that spend a little bit better and we probably could have figured out more creative ways to be at the same event but not do it at those price points. Yeah. And, and it's an it's an easy one, and I think you know you can do the same 
same type of thing in press where you're spending a lot of time and effort uh, and agency spend to try and get coverage in the big publication that everybody wants to get coverage in. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of nuances around press that, you know, we probably don't have time to, to delve too far into, but I think most technology founders want to talk about their product and their technology, maybe sometimes about the solution that provides for businesses, but they don't understand that, that press in general and most readers, they're not looking to read articles about that. They're looking to read articles about real media news topics and commentary on that or facts on that or perspective on that that's supported by a subject matter expert. And so if you think about it from that perspective, having the expectation that you're going to be in the front page of the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times is probably pretty far-fetched. And there are many companies that spend a long time and a lot of money who have a lot of credibility and who have a lot of scale that never achieve that um, that goal of being in that. So if you do it, great. Don't bank on that as, as a success point. It's better to be more thoughtful and long-term in your press view uh, and more opportunistic, frankly, right? If you want to, if you want to get that as part of your outlets for storytelling, think about things like bylines and contributed articles, right? Everybody wants to consume content. And so there are mechanisms to speak thoughtfully on a topic that you think is relevant to you and get that in maybe a slightly smaller publication that has smaller readership, but gives you an opportunity to start building the credibility as a subject matter expert on the topic that you think is relevant to you. And so pursue those or look at opportunities to speak in general topics, comment on things that are more general that may not be 100% aligned with your product, but give you an opportunity to have a voice and again, build credibility as a subject matter expert. And the more body of work you create around that, the more opportunity you're going to have to speak more frequently. And that's really the goal is to get your name front and center. And the more you're front and center, the more opportunities you're going to have to every once in a while, really get a good pitch around what you do in there. And I think a lot of people don't think, big picture enough about that. They just want to tell their story. And if they don't get a press opportunity that lets them tell their story, then, you know, they're, they're just going to keep spending until they do. Well, it sounds like the, the theme of your approach is about being more nimble because you're, you're talking about, you know, you assemble almost like a library of, of content, right? You write the big piece but then you snip it out and put it into different formats. It can be sent across different channels. Some is an infographic, some is a blog post, some is social media. Some of it becomes a campaign. Some of it becomes a think piece, but it all stems from that one big piece that gets disseminated out in more snackable formats. And, and even your trade show approach, your, your approach to being at events or your approach to doing press is start small, be nimble, go, Go for the little wins, but use that to build up momentum and get recognition and build credibility to help establish yourself to be that bigger, perceived bigger player than maybe you actually are. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, a good way to think about the being bigger is if you do that and you're getting little wins and, you know, they, they may seem insignificant to you, but you're actually getting wins. And a lot of people overlook that because they're looking for, 
you know, the uh, proverbial home run on the first bat uh, where they get out there and they're like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do the keynote at RSA and I'm going to win the prize for best new startup. And there are thousands of companies vying for that and hundreds that, you know, get left off the list altogether and uh, very few achieve that. And it's great. And you should always aspire to those things, but on the road to getting there, if you can have a lot of quick wins, it actually bolsters your case uh, to get the big win, but also be everywhere that people are looking, right? Well, I think this is key because this is, um, you know, I've been tasked with this. I think other marketers have. I think other founders have felt like this too, that if they if they didn't get the keynote, if they didn't get front page, if they didn't get the award, if they weren't showcased by this event or by this association that they've, they've kind of lost and your perspective of, okay, shooting for the big prize is great, but if you don't get it, you're at zero. Whereas if you, along the way, go for some of the smaller things, you've accumulated some wins. And over time, those wins can mean as much, if not more than the big prize. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, good, good examples for me, things that, that I've found that, you know, not only validated that directly when a customer is surprised at the actual size of your company being smaller than what they thought it was because you seem mature was uh, an easy one where I was at an event. Uh, I won't name it because it wasn't the greatest event I'd been to. Um, it was uh, held in Atlanta. It was kind of target in the industry that we had solutions for around digital compliance. And I wasn't thinking much of it. Was happy to go through the process. I was there with a couple of our sales team members. Uh, layout wasn't optimized for customers to come through and, and actually see the vendors versus being locked away in rooms all day with presentations. But about halfway through the event, people came by our booth. They were from a large perspective customer that we'd been trying to figure out a way to talk with over time. And they literally said, hey, we're glad we saw you here. We were at an event in New York that you guys were at. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk to you there, but we did talk to one of your other customers who said we really, really need to talk to you about this. Uh, and so we saw that you were on the attendee list for this event. And so we wanted to come talk with you here. And that to me was kind of that perfect moment of, hey, these events, they weren't very big. Yes, they were a little bit of time consumption and never underestimate you know, the time commitment to do those things. But the fact that we were everywhere that they were going to be and eventually it led us to the opportunity where they could see us and they had an opportunity to talk to other people that already knew us at one of these events uh, where we had a presence was a really good thing. And that was something that made us look like we're everywhere we need to be People are telling our story for us when we can't actually do it directly. And that wouldn't have happened if we'd only gone to one big event as opposed to all these little events where the targeted personas that we were telling our story to were actually ending up at. So. Well, and that's, and that's great. And, and, uh, and I think it's also, it's one thing to espouse this as a, as a um, uh, directional choice or a strategy but it's another thing to hear that the strategy actually pays off and that this works for you and to give that kind of real-time example. So I, I love hearing that. Um, we're going to we'll run out of time here unless we get to this next one. So I wanted to go over this for a little bit. 
because this has been important as well. Um, one of the things that that you know you've talked about is in helping you to deliver this great experience and to build this um, library of you know great content and be very targeted and very specific about you know who you are and what you are. You talk a lot about the leadership team and surrounding yourself with the right people. And I, I'd love to have you spend a little bit of time talking about, you know, finding the right folks, the right people around you, uh, the right founders, the right core group to to help the companies be successful and, and what that's meant for your success in the past. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, and I, I think the, you know, the, the part of building a, a startup that, um, you know, is beyond just the idea is really the team. Uh, and, you know, this gets back to a lot of things. So that there's the concept of lots of ideas, but execution is really what makes things happen. And execution happens not just by one person. Execution happens by having a, a good team uh, and being able to take a team into a market, into an opportunity, and have that team be able to cover all the different scenarios that you need. So, you know, for me, I've been fortunate to work with a lot of really gifted and, and talented people. And the lesson that I've learned in uh, being in a position where I have to lead those people, people that, you know, you look at them and you go, God, these people are really smart. They're smarter than me. Uh, they're they're better <laughs> than me. And, and, you know, sometimes people have trouble saying that. I have no trouble saying that whatsoever. Uh, but really, you know, m my task in leading them is to make sure that we're balanced, that our team has the right set of skills and can work together effectively to the point where we can get all those things done, where we can look bigger than we actually are, where we can be good at telling our story and then delivering on our story at the same time. And, you know, I, I think a lot of founders underestimate that part again, because they think about the idea and delivering the technology uh, for the idea. But if you don't have the rest of those components and you're not all cohesive on the story and the go-to-market and the execution around everything from building to delivery to a customer, uh, you start to run into a lot of those friction or points of angst um, where you know it, it, it creates negative momentum uh, for you and the rest of the team. And so being thoughtful about that when you're building a team, right? Is this is this somebody that I can go through these thick and thin times? Is this somebody whose skill set uh, or um, beyond their skill set, their kind of uh, persona is really going to get us something that we need in the end? And you know, I've I've been in organizations where you kind of have that whole spectrum of really, really talented people, but they're acerbic and they, they drive some of the tension in the organization. And that can be okay if it's balanced enough, but if there's no balance to that, then you run into um, those things that can bring you down over time. Well, and when you, when you run into that, that acerbic mindset, those, those people, how are you, how do you handle that? What's your, what's your go-to strategy? I'm sure it varies every time, but, um, What's your what's your thought process there? Yeah, like you said, it you know it varies based on the the persona and the situation and kind of the need that you have. Um, it, you know, if it's something where it's just a scenario where you need to figure out a way to isolate that behavior or that part of the behavior that is really creating tension with everybody else, uh, but the overall value of it outweighs that, then you need to manage around that. If it's one of those things where 
you know what, this is going to be a problem uh, and it's going to be a problem that manifests over time, but it's something that, you know, it's like an infection, uh, then you need to deal with it right away. And I, I, I hate removing people uh, from a team. And I always view that when you take somebody off a team, that's a reflection of your poor ability to really match them with the team in the first place. Uh, sometimes you don't know, so you can't always beat yourself up, but you know, a lot of times you really need to, to pay attention to all those things before you bring someone on. But if you need to take them off the team, uh, then you really need to do that. You need to let somebody go uh, and get them out of that environment because that can distract everything else that you're trying to do uh, and really create a bad environment. Well, that's, that's excellent. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard one. And I think we could probably spend a, a whole session just on, on uh, finding, retaining, and then, you know, ultimately making decisions about when people aren't the right talent and, and what does that look Absolutely. like? But, but yeah, that's a, uh, that's a tough one to, to address, but I loved your point of view on, yeah, you, you can't always beat yourself up, but this certainly is a reflection on you as a leader on bringing the people in, he's setting them up in the right environment, he's setting them up for success, are you doing the right things for them? And if you weren't, how do you, um, how do you avoid making the same mistakes again? What key learnings can you get from that? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the other thing is when you're doing that hiring, especially on a small team, you can look at kind of the, the nature and nurture, right? So people who are optimal in their skill set and their aptitude and the, the nature for the role, and then you still have to commit to the nurture, right? There's a lot of things that we're going to have to do that, we don't have the budget to hire every perfect person for every single thing that, that we want to do. And even if we had the budget, they may not be available. So what are the things that are outside the scope of this team that we need to either learn and take on ourselves or figure out another way to solve that gap uh, in the space and, and uh, in the team itself? Well, got it. Well, Devin, uh, listen. Every success with uh, w- with uh, Theta Lake and the and the new startup and the new venture for you. Um, I'm sure it's going to be brilliant, um, and you'll uh, you'll do what you've done in the past. You know, surround yourself with good people, build up a really good um, library of content and experiences, create a series of quick wins, um, and you know, create this perspective that you're. Um, bigger and more badassier than you really are. And so uh, we wish you every success with that. Thank you for hopping on today and spending some time with us. Super informative. And I loved your point of view and in terms of the go-to-market strategy and how you bring this all together. So thank you again. It's been, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thank you very much. And hope, hope I gave a few words of advice that helps somebody else in their journey as well. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thanks for listening today. Devin's such a fantastic interview and just such a smart, insightful guy. Just love having that conversation with him. He is one who, and I look to his point of view of thinking and acting bigger than you are, that even when you are small, starting out and trying to figure your way in the marketplace, always come across as, well, like you've got your act together. He also has such a fantastic perspective on what it takes to market an organization and how to do that from a leadership position and not just the how do we find our way and connect it to the marketplace, but how do you make that as part of the DNA of the organization. If you would like to follow Devin, and I strongly recommend that you do, you can find him on Devin H. 
R-E-D on Twitter. He is also at the website Theta Lake. That's T-H-E-T-A-L-A-K-E.com. And for those of you that like to continue to listen to great interviews just like this, we suggest you subscribe to the podcast. That's at foundersplace.co, foundersplace.co, the place where exceptional founders grow. More to come next week as we continue our series on founders DNA, what it takes to make a good founder, how to stay one, and to know if you are one or a future one, an entrepreneur in the making. All coming up on future foundersplace.co podcasts. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again soon. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.